0: Warning, the Give Me 5 podcast allows each host's birthday episode to be curated by that host. This week is Rob, the weird one's turn. We apologize in advance.
1: (laughs) The weird one. You're listening to the Give Me 5 podcast episode 33, my birthday episode. It's my birthday. Woo!
2: It's my birthday. Your birthday.
1: Happy birthday, Rob. Happy birthday, Rob. I want the Grandmaster's It's My Birthday theme song in the background. We can't afford that. Oh, dang it. Rush
2: out on an uptown train, doors open. As she walks in, she's soaking. Caught in the rain, her skin shines like crystalline.
1: This is the give me five podcast where each week we discuss the things that entertained us. No, nope, Wait me. Cause it's all about me this week. That's right. It could be books, games, terribly good movies or good, terrible movies. I'm Rob and leaping out of my birthday cake slathered in frosting will be Greg. Hello. And Jimmy. Hey, the give me five podcast crew this week. I gave Greg and Jimmy an assignment, and I had them read the first book of the Codex Alera called The Furies of Calderon, written by Jim Butcher. Oh, wait. I thought it
0: was The Furries of Calderon. Well, I must have read the wrong wrong book. book. You
1: you read the wrong book, sir. Wrong book. We're going to discuss the movie A Quiet Place. We're going to discuss the movie Your... Your what? Exactly. That joke is going to keep coming. And fun with childhood TV themes. Um, the assignment that I picked for the five, just, just to give you a little bit of a explanation so that you hang around. Um, there, there are a couple of TV themes that stuck in my head for no particular reason. Like I still remember the lyrics to them. And I posed the question to Jimmy and Greg to see if there were any that just kind of stuck with them. And we're going to go over those a little bit later.
0: Well, guys, this is a review show and there's probably going to be spoilers. Uh, we're going to try to avoid major twists. And for example, if, you didn't know that I forgot to write any clever spoiler warnings. Then you might want to uh, check back later for when I actually do write some clever spoiler warnings.
2: <laughs> That's so clever! Really, it's so clever. It's like you didn't even try.
0: He's just funny. There editing. was a moment of panic right before I had to speak, <laughs> but then I realized that you know I do the editing, so why panic?
2: So, if you guys want to get in touch with us, as always, you can find us on Facebook by searching for the Give Me Five Podcast. If you want to follow us, interact with us on Twitter or Instagram, you can find us at Give Me Five Pod. If you're bashful and you'd like to email us directly, you can shoot us a line at give me five podcast at gmail dot com and leave us a review on iTunes or whatever podcast app you are using. As with all of those, the five is spelled out. So remember, that's F-I-V-E, wherever there's a five. And we have a store. Da-da-da-da! So exciting. You could buy Rob some birthday presents there. You can. Can they? You can find all of our wonderful Give Me Five branded t-shirts, Ouija boards, cell phone cases. You name it, it's on there. It's give me Five giveme5podcast.threadless.com. Personal Helper Monkeys. Personal Helper muggers. we will um, be replaced by soon. Uh,
0: They don't ship the Personal Helper Monkeys in the summer because of some incidents. Mm. So you want to order those now before it gets hot.
1: It's not pretty. No. So, anything new, guys? Yes.
0: I got some things. Uh, Last night, Rob and I were kind of looking at, we were actually hanging out together, and we were looking at a website, and we saw that Donnie Yen has joined. Completely clothed. Yeah. Yeah, that sounded weird, but nonetheless, yeah. we were looking at some pop culture websites, and it turns out that Donnie Yin, who plays, uh, I can't remember his name because it's Chirrut. in the. Yep. I was about to say Chase, which is something from a video game that we played. Uh, he played Chase, or Chirrut. No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> he said it anyway. He's he played, played Churrit and Rogue One. In Rogue One, the, he's the joined the action cast of Disney's Mulan, uh, playing a character named Commander Tung, T-U-N-G. And he's playing. Mulan's
1: mentor and teacher and and I think that's a character that actually wasn't in the cartoon version if I'm not mistaken because I think we tried to look it up and we couldn't find a commander tongue in the in the uh, animated version so I think this is a character that was made specifically for the live action movie hmm.
0: yeah, And Donnie Yen is a, a really good history very uh, accomplished yeah martial arts actor so he's going to bring a pretty good name to that movie and not that Disney ever really screws that stuff up all that much, but I'm excited about that.
2: Yeah, I was pretty excited when I, you know, heard of this
1: initially. So have have they given any hint as to who, who they are casting as Mulan yet?
2: Yes, they did. And who is that? She is a chi- Chinese actress um, who I don't think has done too much. Uh, Lindsay to- oh, okay. Lohan? I think it's Lindsay Lohan. <laughs> <laughs> Lindsay? Lindsay Lone?
1: Lindsay, oh, forget it. Sorry, that was my robot chicken reference.
2: Uh, yes, it's actually Chinese actress Liu Yifei, yeah, also known as Crystal Liu, uh, will be starring as Mulan. Nice. Aiming for release in two thousand nineteen.
1: I I don't know how I feel about the whole Disney redoing all of their movies in, in live action. I mean, it seems kind of like like a rehash to me. Although I I will admit that I did really enjoy the live action version of Beauty and the Beast, and it had. Um, the live-action version of Beauty and the Beast actually had a really great song in it that wasn't in the animated version, so I appreciated that as well. So they do add
0: some new stuff to it. And I guess speaking of things coming out of nowhere, there's going to be a new uh, Tolkien book. Yeah. Set in, in Middle Earth, that which is a big time surprise, considering he died in the early 70s. Yeah. So it's going to be called the Fall of Gondolin. It is actually it's set in Middle Earth, but it's set way before any of the Lord of the Rings stuff happened. Yeah, and and, Apparently it was one of the first things he ever wrote.
1: Yeah, it was it was supposedly a, a lot of the stuff is um that's that's set in Middle Earth. He was just kind of like um sharpening his blade, so to speak. He was he was basically practicing on everything that he was going to put forth in The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings.
0: Yeah, it was almost like scenescapes or just like little stories that happen in that area to kind of build up what that area is before he unleashed the world. Mm hmm. But I'm excited about that. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that'll be pretty good too. Yeah, so it's. I guess his son is the one that's curating it. And His son is actually 93 years old, and even wow. you know, there's a whole group of people that are considered <coughs> Tolkien stalk, uh, stalkers, scholars. <laughs> they're probably stalkers as well, but they're scholars, and they were even surprised that this stuff existed to the extent he. What's interesting is he actually wrote this when he was in the hospital uh, after the Battle of the Somme, which is when Tolkien yeah. was, you know, in World War One, I, I believe. And he wrote it like after, you know, convalescing or after he got injured. So it'll be really interesting. I'm actually more interested in the history behind how this book has remained hidden for over 100 years or around 100 years mm-hmm. till um, now. So I'm looking forward to checking that
1: out. Awesome. Definitely.
0: We're going to move on to our next section, as we have a lot to cover today, and that is the Snap Decision section, in which we sort of reveal some blind news that the other guys don't know about, and then we ask a question based on that. And we get one minute to answer whatever question has been posed, and inevitably one of us forgets to set the timer, and it ends up going over a minute anyway. But we will try to do better this time. Uh, Jimmy, why don't you go
2: first? Alrighty, so, some exciting television news. Actor Bruce Langley, who plays the technology kid on American Gods Season 2, tweeted a picture that says, And here we go, with most of the cast from Season 1 of American Gods. Now, it's confirmed that Jillian Anderson will not be reprising her role as media. Are, to me, it's her role as David Bowie. Yeah. Are you still excited for the show's return, minus the showrunners and minus Julianne Anderson?
0: I will go first, as I'm, and probably only because I don't think Rob has watched that
1: show yet. Shame. I am. But, I am not excited. Perhaps if I watched the first season, I would be. So here we go. Yes, I'm excited because I really like the world they build up,
0: and I like where they left us. But as can be as. I've experienced with shows such as The Walking Dead, a showrunner leaving a show very early in the run of the show Mm -hmm. is very concerning because they set a tone. Usually the first couple episodes of a show flounder a little bit. They set a tone and then you get used to that tone and then it changes and now you're dealing with the same type of changes again. On top of that, Gillian Anderson is a great actress and her part was she stole the screen whenever she was on it Yeah, she absolutely I'm going to miss her, and she's also a smart actress, so if she bailed, I think that that might not bode well because she's Mm -hmm. not just going to bail because she's in an argument with someone. So I'm excited, but my excitement is not
2: as much as for the first season. Gotcha. And just under a minute, uh, Kristen Uh, Kristen Chenoweth is also unconfirmed at this point, I think, still. Uh, She played Easter. She had a, a very big moment in the finale of season one i hope she's back but you know we'll just have to see i can't wait for the show to come back though
0: cool i'm gonna go we talked about this guy last week but tj miller comedic actor he got arrested this week for calling in a bomb threat on a train back in march
2: yeah you forgot to say major d-bag
0: yes we're getting there all right. uh, apparently he was drunk and he had a conversation with a woman on the train, probably because he was drunk and she didn't really want to deal with it. So after he got kicked off the train, uh, he called and said that she had a bomb. And first of all, he was so drunk that he named the wrong train that he was on, but it ended up costing 926 man, man hours worth of delays. Thousands of passengers got disrupted. However, he has a bunch of upcoming film projects that have already been either filmed or done the voiceovers, including Deadpool 2 and How to Train Your Dragon 3, and one where I believe he's the star called Underwater. Should they cut him out?
2: Yes.
1: <sighs> Go ahead, Rob. I, I don't think that's fair to the studios. Um, granted, I mean, I, I don't know that they, that they need to foot the bill for, for recasting, um, but they might lose out if they don't. I, I mean, I personally wouldn't wouldn't penalize a movie company for, for deciding not to cut him out, but certainly any future business um, will probably be sidelined.
0: Okay. Jimmy just said yes. I'm actually in agreement with Rob on this one. Uh, he's already paid. He already got paid for these roles. Right. So it's an, unless he has some sort of back-end deal where he gets 10% of the gross or something like that, which I doubt... But what the studio should have done is make sure that they had a – because knowing he had some problems going into these things, they should have made sure that his contract had some sort of note like you need to not be a moron. But why should it cost the studio millions of dollars to recast somebody or re-edit the entire movie to take someone out? The voiceovers could possibly be done, but that's I
2: think where we're at for that. Yeah, there was even something about the character Irock in Ready Player One that it couldn't quite pin down why he just sounded like a douchebag to me. And it's because it was, you know, voiced by TJ Miller. He has a history of, of violence towards women. Um, I don't think it's out of character for him to, to do this bomb threat thing. And I, I think they should cut all ties with him. Yeah. It sucks for the studios to get penalized, but you know, yeah, he really shouldn't work again. No. So Cool. And I
0: believe Jimmy, you had one more.
2: Yeah. So, you know, growing up a, a wrestling fan, we've talked about it. It was a huge wrestling fan growing up. And there are still some wrestlers that I, I pay attention to because I think they're, they're good entertainers. I think they're good people. I think they're good ambassadors for the sport, i.e. John Cena. All around just good dude. Uh, looking forward to seeing his movie blockers. But then there are people like Brock Lesnar. Mm. And Brock Lesnar made his return um at WrestleMania and beat Roman Reigns in a um, highly controversial ending where it was released today that, well, it was leaked today, the supposed ending of the match where Roman Reigns actually won, but Brock Lesnar ended up splitting him open. I don't understand, and I, I wanted to pose this question to you guys and our listeners out there. I don't understand the draw of Brock Lesnar. I don't understand why he's still employed by the WWE, why the UFC is still pursuing him as a fighter. I just don't understand what the draw is for Brock Lesnar. Go. He's big. Is that it? Because the guy seems like a raging... Douche. Douche. Yeah, he's... He's big. He's got the physique that everybody – that they wish, like,
1: several of – if John Cena had Brock Lesnar's size and physique, there'd be no question. I mean, he he would be champion for, like, forever. But it's it's just the way that Brock Lesnar looks. Honestly, I think
2: that's what it is. What do you think, Greg?
1: <laughs>
0: okay. So what I think on this – I think as Rob is, yet again, he's right. He's big oh. and – Vince McMahon has a major thing for large guys, which is why some of this the smaller wrestlers don't get a lot of credit. You know, you Daniel Bryan. Uh, yeah, well, Daniel Bryan, who I I give it. I understand people like really like him from the because of the indie stuff, but you know, even some of the the people like Edge, who aren't small by our standards, but small by their standards. Uh, I think that they Edge made was great. a match that they didn't. People didn't really want to see. Because you have half of the world that really hates Brock Lesnar because he does the same thing over and over and over again. Half of the world that thinks Roman Reigns is being shoved down your throat by WWE, which I actually don't really believe is true. I think he actually has the look. But I think they made a mistake as putting that as the headliner, and it wasn't going to make anyone happy. And then, of course, Brock Lesnar is—and I ran out of time. Oh! Anyway, we spent enough time on that subject.
2: Yeah. Thanks for your feedback. Let us know what you think. I think that does
0: it for our Snap Decisions.
1: That was snappy.
0: Okay, we're going to start talking about some of our main topics now. And the first one is going to be A Quiet Place, which came out this past weekend, as we are recording. And it's written by Brian Woods, Scott Beck, and John Krasinski. It is directed by John Krasinski, which everyone knows from The Office. And it's starring literally these people, John Krasinski, Emily Blunt, Millicent Simmons, Noah Jube, Cade Woodward, and Leon Russom. And that is it. Hmm. Nice,
1: and, and I gotta say, I, I'm interested to see what to hear what you thought about this because I looked at it, and just looking at the trailers, it looked interesting, but I wasn't sure. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So um, hit us with it, Greg. So these guys have not seen
0: it, as you can tell. So I'm going to give you a quick breakdown without going too deep into the spoilers because it's it's more enjoyable without them. Basically, a family is forced to live in silence because there's these creatures that hunt by sound. And the story, if you've ever seen the trailer, you pretty much know the story. People, basically the world is devastated by these creatures and they hunt by sound. The cool thing about the movie is it doesn't explain where they came from. It doesn't explain, you know, like if they came from space or underground or anything like that. They're just there. You figure out that they hunt from sound. They look like they hunt for by sound. And you're, you basically just care about the family and how they survive. So it's what comes out initially is like a really convoluted idea. It sold to me really well. Hmm. And my thought with any movie is I don't care how weird and ridiculous the idea is. And we're going to get to this a little bit later when we talk about the book. Um, I don't care how weird and ridiculous the idea is. If you can sell it to me, I'll accept the idea. And I always come to stuff like from Pixar, like Monsters, Inc. You know, the idea of the monsters are scaring you to get together energy, like the way they showed it and the way the story went. It sold it to me. I'm good to go.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, so the reason it was able to sell it is, one, the all the acting is super strong. And there's a lot of nonverbal stuff because, of course, they have to be quiet, like really quiet. And it's funny because people said, well, this is a big departure for Krasinski, who's in the office. And, you know, that was all comedy. And he played, like, the, the Dobe level guy in the office. But he has to act so much with his facial expressions and, like, mouthing things and stuff like that. And all I could think about is how well-trained he was from every single episode of The Office where they did the cutaways of him, like, looking at the camera, like, anytime something weird happened in the office. Mm. I was like, he was, like, this is, like, a next logical step there. Oh, it's, wow. It's like That's... a lob. They just lobbed it up for him. Yeah. Well, I mean, he he sought it out and, and helped write it. So,
1: mm-hmm. so he like,
0: directed it. Yeah. And he wrote it, too. He helped write it. Mm. Uh, it was ridiculously suspenseful. And it was – the sound design was great because it was really quiet, and it it only took about 10 minutes to you got so involved in that world that, like, even the idea of someone placing something down on, like, a metal shelf, you, like, kind of held your breath. Yeah. So it's really quiet, really quiet, and then, like, a metal door would slam open, and you're like, what? There was a few comments I read online afterwards, in fact, that people were saying that, like, you got so involved in that movie that even the idea of, like, reaching into your popcorn bag and making it wrinkle, you felt like you were putting the rest of the theater in danger. Which, uh-huh. again, to go back in time yeah. for me, like, I remember very distinctly seeing the movie Outbreak in the theater, and, like, somebody coughed behind me and I was out. <laughs> I'm
1: done! <laughs> See you later. So, later, like, it, it was like
0: that. I saw it at, like, 11.15 at, at a theater, it was one of the bigger, not quite IMAX, but one of the bigger rooms. It was completely full at 11.15 at night, which I thought was crazy for, like, a what, $13 million horror movie. And it was dead silent. And it was so sil- so quiet that even, like, little awkward things on the screen made people kind of laugh uncomfortably. which I thought was pretty cool because, like, after people, like, got used to it. So, like, in the first 15 minutes, we were getting used to that world. Something would happen, and people were like, hee-hee. <laughs> like, but it was more, like, uncomfortable laughter than, like, raucous laughter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but um, beyond that, so we, you know, you have the the quiet the the creatures. My my one worry is like, well, how do these creatures possibly decimate a world that has nuclear weapons or tanks or you know shotguns or anything like that? And they do a really good job of selling how the creatures work. They're ridiculously fast. They're armored in a way, and they can they can basically like a they can rip anything apart. Like, they'll rip a truck apart, they'll rip a silo apart, anything like that. And the way they're designed, it's one of the better creature designs I've seen. And I think, like, they, they kind of kept it hidden, but you, you see them more and more throughout the movie. It's mm-hmm. sort of a hybrid of, like, the Cloverfield monster, the Demogorgon, and, like, the Starship Troopers bugs. Like, the armoring on them. Oh, okay. So, you know, very kind of long-limbed, like, a, almost like a big Strider-type creature that, like, Dolly would draw with, like, longer legs. But... And then the heads like move and shift around when they're trying to hear something. So that's kind of like the Demogorgon, but it's like armor plates. So you can't like just shoot them. And there's so many of them that if you decide to shoot them, you're going to get swarmed over like immediately, like they can rip trees down like big ones. So they're, so they sell that really well. Um, a really (laughs) cool thing in the movie also that I just happened to notice was that they used a lot of like clever dampening techniques, like sound and stuff. And they show some of it in the movie, like putting sand on the ground, uh, Trying to distract the monsters using fireworks, things like that, and communicating using light with other people and fire because they can't see it or they yeah they don't really see. So I thought that was really good. And uh, the one thing that really came to mind with this kind of movie was I remember like in the there's a lot of horror movies like based on like a crazy idea that are coming out like Get Out and this one, but they sell it with with good acting and good writing. And I thought – it brought me back to some of, like, the 80s and 90s movies where, like, the comedies had one one idea that they would base all the comedy around that wasn't a realistic one, like Groundhog's Day or Big mm-hmm. or something like that. And they don't really do those kind of comedies anymore where – like, occasionally they do, I guess, but where it's something that they don't really feel the need to explain. It just happens, but all the comedy is based around that. And it's kind of the same way with this movie. Like, they don't bother with explaining it. They just – this is the situation. Here's a really good cast, and let's – see how they survive. Uh, as I said before, you cared about the characters, specifically Millicent Simmons, who's kind of a newcomer. Um, she plays uh, the daughter, and she she's deaf, and she happens to be deaf in real life, which is kind of a big story, because John Krasinski, like, said, I'm not filming this. I'm not putting a non-deaf person
2: in this yeah, role. Yeah, he said it was um, it was important to him to, to have, you know, her in the film, so. Yeah,
0: and she's truly the heart of the movie. Mm-hmm. I was just seeing it. It's, um, it's PG-13 movie and it's the first time in a very long time that as I was leaving the theater, I kind of felt like I was still in the movie. Someone dropped their keys and everyone like looked at them like, what the hell are you doing? (laughs) It was, I mean, I don't think that type of thing has happened since like when I first saw Jurassic Park and we were leaving and some like, (laughs) I vaguely remember uh, we were leaving the back door of Jurassic Park and there were some palm trees that like shook as the door hit them and people like whipped their head around like there's raptor hiding in
2: there. So. (laughs) You go out the back door <laughs> in movies. You walk through the door that says exit. Yeah, you don't go out the way you came in.
0: Well, I did on that one.
2: Okay, because that's weird to me. Not that's a thing. That's well, that's I go strange. Out,
0: I go out out whatever door I know where I parked on. Like I, it's the theater like you know ten minutes from my house, so I know it. I know where I've parked and I know which door leads where. Mm-hmm. So rather than walk all the way around, I'll just go out that door.
1: Yeah. I, I do the same thing. If I know that I've parked in the back of the theater and I've got a door that exits the back of the theater, I'll go out that
2: door. I just don't park in the back of the theater. Anyway. Well, sometimes it's really full. But... <laughs> I have so many questions about the movie that I should really wait until I see it. Um, I can't wait to see it. It it The trailer just kind of grew on me because, you know, we go to the movies a lot and you'd see it. The first time I saw it, I said, man, this looks goofy. The second time I saw it, I said, "Okay, this actually looks pretty cool." And I saw it again. I, said, I really want to see this movie. I just haven't gotten around to it yet. So, nice work, not spoiling the movie yes. for us or or our listeners. And uh, I'm real excited to see it. Yeah, very good. Thank you. No problem. Shall we move on? We shall. We shall.
1: Okay, so I think we're going to move on, and we're going to move on to. The birthday assignment that I gave both Greg and Jimmy. It's your birthday. It's my birthday. And I gave them the first book in the Codex Alera series written by Jim Butcher. It's called The Furies of Calderon. It's narrated by Kate Redding, who I was unsure about the first time I listened to it. But as the book progressed, I really liked what she did with the book as far as narrating it. Um, Did you guys get that impression as well? Or did you just hate it all the way through? Or did you like her all the way through?
2: I liked her all the way through. Um, it seemed As like I, it seemed like every time a new character was introduced, I was like, "Okay, can she do this? Can she?" And and, and not because she's female, but because the diversity of the characters. I'm like, "All right, are any of these characters going to sound the same?" And no, they didn't. Well, and Those some of them barbarians. are like
0: barbarians or
2: big burly mm-hmm. shepherds or. Mm-hmm children
0: very impressed
1: i'm curious to see to find out what you guys thought
0: i loved it i am not a fan of hardcore fantasy Mm
1: -hmm. so
0: it was not that i hated it Uh, i want to go with the it was not for me route Mm -hmm. because but not because it was bad but because i just my mind wanders too much when it's not grounded in a real no, world. Like not, I find
1: that not your style, kind of like death metal isn't my style or synth wave isn't my style. Yeah. Or like Gaussed. or ghost. Yeah. <laughs> like a
0: lot of the stuff I, I read, if it's something that's set in the real world, I can picture things a lot better. And there has to be a lot less explaining. Cause as soon as they start explaining stuff, particularly clothes or settings or what characters look like, or, or like systems of, of government, like, you know, that pushed the story along my mind just starts wandering like there was i Mm -hmm. i was telling rob this yesterday that when i was listening to it there were so many times i would get all the way to work and be like i don't remember listening i don't remember anything that happened so on the way home i would have to listen to the same part and then i was like okay and i also had the paperback book so i would read the same part to be like okay that's what happened Mm -hmm. which was frustrating (laughs)
1: I, I, but I do think that you found out something kind of interesting and amusing that I didn't actually even know about. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Before we go deep into the the story stuff,
0: the author of this book is a guy named Jim Butcher who who writes a series of books that I happen to love called the Dresden Files, which is a real world based uh, wizard crime kind of story. Private Eye, yeah. So, and I've read quite a few of those, and I think Robs wrote the whole series. Wizard or, crime, or, wizard crime. So. So one of the people that introduced me to that story, uh, we'll we'll call him Jeebus One, (laughs) as his screen name is. He he told me, he's like, I think that's the book where mashing together Pokemon and the Roman Lost Legion. I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? So I guess what happened was the author of the book, Jim Butcher, was in a early 2000s chat room where he was discussing fiction and was basically, what's better? You have – or what do you have? An amazing idea – but you're a crappy writer, or, or what would you rather have? You're amazing, you have a great idea, but you're a really bad writer. Or you're, can a really good writer take a crappy idea and spin gold out of it? So the conversation went on to the point of where he was saying, look, a good writer can take any idea and make it good. And someone's like, fine, I dare you to try to combine the Republic era of Rome and the Lost Legion of the Republic era of Rome and Pokemon. So within two years, the author... Came back with a full book, which ended up being what six books, yeah, six that were clearly good. So he he dropped the he, I guess, picked up the gauntlet and then threw it right back. I guess that's the way to put it, and dropped the mic, yeah. So, I mean, even some of the names he dropped in there just as like little nudges. Like one of the the furies, so to speak, is named Rill, which is uh, based, I believe a Meryl. Is that the Pokemon, Jimmy? Uh, Meryl is a mouse, okay. And then there's a, there's a character named – or there's a beast named Gyarados, which is in both. Yeah. Uh, the the villainous creatures or the villainous people that are kind of off in the distance are wearing red and black, which is the same as Team Rocket, which I guess is another Pokemon thing. So these mm-hmm. are things I looked up. I'm not big on that. Mm-hmm. And also once – a lot of times throughout the book, if you defeat somebody, all of a sudden you're friends with them, which I also think happened in Pokemon. Like, you, know, you defeat a Pokemon and then they kind of join you as your pet. I thought that was kind of a funny little story and – an interesting way of, of winning an argument by writing a series, which inevitably, of course, made him a lot of money.
1: Yeah. The the first book I believe was on the New York Times bestseller list for quite a while, actually.
2: I, I thought it was great when we when we found that out and we kind of found that out as we were recording. So that's ammunition for me um, every time Rob makes fun of Pokemon. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I you know, I really enjoyed the book. I um, even without that knowledge and i'll be the first to admit that to you guys that i'm not the biggest fan of pokemon lore you know i play pokemon go so having that knowledge didn't really kind of change my opinion on it i thought it was a a wonderfully well-written book with you know some refreshing characters you know there are repeated fantastical elements in there they're you know there, there are these men beyond the wall that are Icemen beyond the wall, I think, that mm-hmm. are alluded to. Mm-hmm. Um, where I was like, wait, is this Game of Thrones? Although I'm sure George R.R. Martin isn't the first to come up with that. Um, but the the battle scenes were just beautifully written. It just put me right in there. And
0: those were the parts I was able to lock in on. Yeah. Battle scenes beautifully. They were They were quick. Fully paced, but a lot happened. They made you tired, yeah, and when they, they knew it was going on, you knew it was going on, and they were and they were yeah, unique he, and interesting. He he writes his battle scenes very
1: well.
2: Yeah, when the Dresden Files also yeah. when the the Marat attacked, and they go, oh, that was just the first wave. You just go, oh God, that hurts so much. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know the battle scenes. Um, there's the, the kind of great challenge, uh, with Tavi and, and Katai. I, I just pictured a very lush world, very lush jungle. Um, I kept picturing Avatar. I did not really picture Pokemon. I pictured the world of Avatar, Pandora.
0: Okay. You know, it's funny that you say that. I kind of did too, even though I knew the Roman Legion stuff, like I didn't, somehow I didn't put two and two with the names being, you know, like. You know, Gaius Sextus and Fidelius and all that, like being Roman in nature. And I was
2: kind of pick it, picturing something a little more Avatar-like as well. I pictured a lot of um, people in robes. I think uh, for me, Fidelius looked like Bill Nye the Lannister guy. <laughs> Although I think they describe him as being bald and and not you know frail. At some point, I still every time I pictured him as that actor in Game of Thrones. Couldn't help it. And and I'll I'll go ahead and say that I all of the soldiers,
1: I completely mm. pictured like Roman legionnaires. Yeah, I did too. But give give us give us a little rundown, Jimmy. It, it's actually been a while since I've read the book or anything. What yeah. What, what stood what stood out to you?
2: I, I found it interesting. Um so Furies are the book is called Furies of Calderon. It's the the first in the Codex Alera and Furies are essentially Pokemon; they are entities that people can summon some are more powerful than others, some are more skilled at it than others. Some people use their furies to some people are woodcrafters some people are watercrafters you know water crackers water crackers um watercrafters have the ability to heal they have the ability to do other things as well woodcrafters um There are like fire wielders. So all that is introduced in the furies of Calderon and it's, it's centered around a character named Tavi who does not have any furies yet. Um, you know, they're coming. I, I kept kind of hoping that he would get them. Um, although he was my least favorite character read by the narrator because he seemed like a very whiny 15 year old. Mm -hmm. Um, So he meets up with, um, Amara, who kind of becomes his, his companion and they go on while, you know, it's a recurring theme through fantasy while kind of a a great darkness is gathering. Um, there's a, a former cursor named, um, Fidelius, who was Amara's mentor. He's seeking to overthrow the crown and gains the, Trust and backing of these barbarian like people called the Marat, um, whom eventually Tavi, the 15 year old, um, gets a large portion of the Marat to come to the side of, of the humans. And it kind of sets up this world with these, this huge battle at the end, which I mean, I was so excited every time I got in my car. And so mm-hmm. disappointed every time I got at, out of my well, car. Because usually when you get out of your car, you're seeing me early in the morning at work. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, got to see, like, I didn't get that from the <laughs> – I got the big battle at the end. and I got Tavi at the beginning. I had no idea that wow. the Marat actually turned towards – and some of them joined towards Tavi.
2: Well, they did because, you know, Tavi went through a trial and ended up saving uh, Katai's life, who Katai – um, you thought was a boy, and it was a, a genuinely funny moment when it turned out that Katai was actually a female Marat, and uh, you know, Kit uh, Tavi saved her.
0: I remember that part, and that's where the reader actually helped quite a bit. That was the, she was really good in
2: that section. Oh yeah, she was great. Um, but yeah, Tavi gets the Marat, who, like I said, are these they're described as barbarians, but they're much more than that. They are a race of, of warriors with different clans and different factions. And, you know, their different factions are aligned with, um, you know, one war chief and different factions align with the war chief that, you know, chooses to ally with, with Tavi. And they, they, they kind of save the, save the day in the end <laughs> with, you know, Tavi coming in with, uh, the chieftain on this, you know, big giant kind of, uh, elephant like yeah i was gonna say like woolly mammoth type thing but um that was a really cool moment in the book and Mm -hmm. and it had a lot of those for me and i am i'm looking forward to reading the rest i really am yeah i we we may not cover it on the show but i really
1: want to know what you think of the rest of them because i i like i said i really really enjoyed this series it's it's one of my favorite if not my favorite series to date um it was it was a super easy read for me, well, or easy listen, because mm-hmm. I did it all on Audible. Um, but I, I couldn't put it down. Like you said, I, w- I didn't want to get out of my car. I didn't want to stop listening to it. I would find, I would literally find excuses to do things around the house so that I could just put in my earphones and listen to this while I just kind of puttered around the house.
2: I did that too. Um, I, I will say, um, kind of in closing with this, what set this apart from other fantasy books, and I've read a lot. Greg mentioned the colors earlier, a lot of fantasy books. I read them with almost kind of like a, a film over them. As I'm picturing it in my mind, I picture it kind of grainy, um, you know, faded red cloaks and, uh, just kind of, kind of rainy all the time. Mm -hmm. But this book was, and I, I likened it to Pandora from avatar earlier. This book was incredibly colorful, very vivid. Yeah. And, um, Man, thank you for turning me onto it, and I'm um, like Greg. I, I can't wait to read more. You're you're welcome. And and for
1: me, you'll probably you'll probably have the same reaction I did when you get to that last book and you finish it. You're like, man, and then you're like, oh crap, what am I gonna what am I gonna read now? <laughs> oh yeah, I, I I don't have anything left to read. That sucks.
2: The uh, only other series that long that I've read was The Dark Tower by Stephen King, and this will be the second longest one that I've read. Nice. Yeah, I will
0: be bowing out. I will probably bow because I've got enough other stuff to read that Mm -hmm. won't take me multiple listens and reads to actually understand what's going on.
2: I wanted to mention this one more thing. I know I said I was going to be done after that, but um, I thought it was important to note Greg commented on this in my notes – but man, do sex scenes in books make my skin crawl? <laughs> and there were, there were a couple, um, in this book, nothing got really super hot and heavy, but, um, when they kind of started or it kind of went that way, I was like, Oh God, I, the, the inner completest in me is like, no, you can't skip forward, but my skin was just like crawling towards the skip ahead 30 seconds button.
0: That just, the same way.
2: Yeah, it's a thing.
0: When I'm reading sci-fi whatever I'm reading if it like I keep that separate from any of like the word sex scene stuff like I don't I just skip past it. Mm-hmm. For some reason, I don't know. I just always have. Especially when it's in Audible and it's like in your ear. It's like, eh.
2: yeah, I'm I, like, I can't go anywhere. I don't
1: I I honestly don't mind them so much, but um but my question is this. Um I don't think it will because I don't think it has like the following or whatever, but I would love to see this as like a a movie series or a a mini series or something because I think like you said i mean the 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 vivid uh landscapes and the very colorful um i and the the furies might be hard to pull off in the medium of film, but i would love I would love to see it i I, I just don't know that it'll happen
2: yeah, uh you know we talked to the author C s umble previously and Uh he he was even saying that he likes to paint these or or thinks of it thinks of it in terms of you know cinematic imagery and i i love to see the books that i love actualized and put onto screen um and this is one that i would i'd love to see as well as as maybe a you know a run on netflix or amazon um that ran maybe six seasons, maybe mm-hmm. four seasons, something like that. Nothing too long. Draw drawn it out and made up too much stuff. But I'd love to see it. I mean, yeah, the characters were very well as illustrated. Like I said, it was it was so colorful. And um, uh, for those yeah, of you, love the, to see it the on Ranger battles are too exhilarating and realistic.
0: We have you're the hunter from the future, a wonderful movie from 1983. <laughs> wonderful, with very tongue in cheek.
1: And and it's my birthday episode and y'all know how much I love stupid movies.
0: <laughs> you know, when we first thought about doing this podcast, I really did want us to do more dumb movies. But we've Some been beavers. inundated by so much good content between stuff in the theater, stuff on streaming, books that we've read that this is like I think really the first time we've got to do a dumb movie that's made to be a dumb movie. So What's
2: was it made to be a dumb movie? Uh, or, or was yeah. something like, man, it was. this is great. Really? The director I'm, is I'm glad. very aware of what it was. I'm very glad to hear
0: that. The director is Italian. His name is Antonio Margheriti, And he has even said that he occasionally... He loves the fact that he made a good party movie and it makes him happy every time he sees it on lists of the most, like, so-bad-that-they're-fun kind of movies. Oh, that's so great. He knows what he's Good. Does. And he also made it on... A, like shoestring budget they probably couldn't even afford a shoestring the, the fact that they even pulled off what they did real quick just kind of breaking down what the movie is as i said before directed by antonio margariti starring reb brown who you may know as the uh, 1979 captain america from i believe the tv show he was also a big McLarge large huge in space mutiny and if you're a mystery science theater fan you'll know exactly the reference i'm making And he also had a uh, cameo part in the Captain America, the first Avenger movie.
2: He did with Stan Lee. Yeah.
0: He was a soldier with Stan Lee, which I think that was the one with where they find Thor's hammer in the in the like smashed into that crater in the earth, if I remember correctly. But anyway, uh, Corrine Clary, John Steiner, a bunch of other people. Is that that
1: big Papa Pump's brother?
0: No, I believe that is uh, uh, Charles Manson in this movie. But we'll get on that in a second. (laughs) Uh, It is based off a graphic novel, a a Venezuelan graphic novel, I believe, and I don't know where these numbers came from, but it did. It was made as a mini series in Italy, which ran on television, and then when it was picked up by Columbia Pictures, it actually did make two million eight hundred ten thousand dollars, eight hundred ten thousand one hundred ninety nine dollars in its opening run, and oddly enough, the same amount of money in the entire run. So I don't know if it only ran for one week here or. If it was just a, like, we're going to play this in some theaters for fun, and we're only going to play it for one week. So that's what it did. So, guys, we we get to talk about our first bad movie. So let's do it. Oh. Let's do it very badly. Yes. Yeah, so, first of all, the opening sequence slash montage. Was so damn uneventful.
1: He he did a lot of
0: running. <laughs> well, okay, first of all, I'm going to – I'm pretty sure we can play – hold on. I'm, I'm pretty sure we can play the music. So – we're going to pause for a second for the music and i will i will edit in the music just not all of it because no one will ever listen to us again but okay so this is the opening song
2: So he's running, and there's this super sweet song that you just heard, and he's just running, like kind of slowly, not really without purpose. It was just weird, and it set the tone for for a little
0: while. I thought it was really funny that they made this guy who was supposed to be this ultimate super awesome hunter from the Uh future. And they made him run on terrain that he could barely navigate on his own. So he was, like, slipping and sliding down mountains and, like, mm-hmm. slowly trying to get his leg up on a rock and, like, to try to get around it. <laughs> and I was like, if you're trying like- to prove that someone is really good at something, maybe you don't put them on a terrain that even the – like, that any average human really can't navigate smoothly because it's going to –
2: you're going to notice the yeah. loss. Because you could – he he was like straining to get through it and and not show like, oh crap, I don't know what I'm doing. So he had this blank, dumb look on his face the whole time. And and that kind of went throughout the movie. The actors displayed virtually no emotion.
1: And and or reaction no- to anything. Not to mention that the opening sequence that he's running—it's not like he's running through this lush tropical jungle. I mean, it's—it's it's a freaking desert. <laughs> there is absolutely no scenery whatsoever. It is rocks it's like, and dirt, and, and that's it's it. at the like base of a
0: mountain where like all of the gravel has like piled up, and so it's like yeah. slipping out from under him. And he's wearing a loincloth. You see his butt. You occasionally do see his butt.
1: You totally see your butt.
0: Yeah, and it, it, yeah, and he's your by the way. So yes, you see your butt. Your,
1: that joke your is going to continue through the whole discussion.
0: Blonde. Very blonde wig,
2: terrible bad wig, really terrible bad, wig. Really, bad. Wig. really stiff. <laughs> Just like he would wake up and be like, "What shall I have to eat now?" And his hair was in the same position that it was. Like, Let's
1: go for a run through the desert.
0: <laughs> now, another yeah. thing that I find interesting—that I mentioned this earlier—I I, I watched the movie twice yesterday. Once regular and then all the way through with the commentary on. And one of the things he did say is that w- the commentary was actually filmed recently because it, w- it was re-released um, in January. So it's for the 35th anniversary. And he said that he actually got dysentery while filming.
1: He did more than once, I think he said, didn't he? For oh,
0: God. Uh, yeah. So he ended up basically losing 40 pounds. So anything that was filmed in the desert areas, he's way thin because he had lost 40 pounds. Anything that's filmed in, like, the jungle areas or the beach areas, he's a little... Not heavier, but he's a little thicker. And he was just getting over dysentery when he was doing that run scene. So he was not only running on like rocks and stuff like that. He was actually really weak when doing
2: it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it looks like he is. Mm-hmm. He's just like, uh, it's like this slow, plotting, painful run. We could spend half an hour talking about that.
0: Now it seems like the movie was broken down into like three major set pieces. Which I, when I found out that it was a miniseries, it kind of makes sense. There's kind of the opening, and then he uh, fights off a, a dinosaur.
2: <laughs> yeah, uh, if you want to call it that, <laughs> that's being generous. It's
1: a uh, a stegosaurus?
2: Yeah, it was a half <laughs> stegosaurus, half triceratops, or a, or a triceratops. Yeah. They, it, it was like a child's third grade art project is what it was. And But it, can, was we, can we the just mom. discuss the,
1: the, the, the little pig in the prosthetic suit because yeah. that was adorable.
2: Yeah, he
0: – the way it happens is he happens upon a baby uh, dinosaur thing, which is really just a pig wearing a stegosaurus costume. And we're not kidding. It's a baby pig wearing a Stegosaurus costume that is not happy to be wearing a Stegosaurus costume.
2: (laughs) No. It's squealing and trying to get away from this. Yeah, the the rope they tied around its neck and dragged it. Yeah. Which. And then. Would not fly today.
0: Show up. And so this thing is there, and the mom's fake paper mache tail is like swinging over its head. So nothing actually happens to the pig. It's just not happy.
1: And, and very important to note that it was it was the girl and the old man that were hunting this little pig and then the mom shows up.
2: Yeah. Oh yeah, so yeah the hmm. Was that the mom cuz it hit the little pig stegapig, pig with its They didn't tail. have enough
0: money to film it again, I'm guessing, but they yeah, they did cobop the little stegosaurus pig on the head. But I knew I was in for a comedy gold movie when that part happened. Mm-hmm. And Rob was like, "Is that a pig?" <laughs> <laughs>
2: It, it totally was, and then Yor jumps out and hacks the cardboard Stega Glyphodon with his <laughs> dumb foam axe. Yeah, and then drinks its
1: blood. Here, drink its blood. Wait, what? <laughs>
0: yeah, that's what I always do. Whenever I kill a dinosaur, I immediately drink its blood.
2: <laughs> You're Just like
1: burning a vampire from the future. <laughs> it tastes like fire. Am I the son of fire? Wait, what?
2: Am I son of fire? Our parents dead fire son. My, my notes for that part,
0: when I saw your basically uh, kill this thing, drink its blood in front of, in front of it's the little baby one. I was like, your kind of sucks. Like the guy himself kind of sucks. Like what, what, what a douche.
1: Yeah. And then, and then that of course, course he turns, and then of course he turns to the woman, the, the lady that he saved and is like, Oh, I love you. Yeah, <laughs> I was
2: like, "Oh man, yeah." We're
0: going to talk about the the women in this movie in a bit because Yor does get attached very, very, very quickly. Very quickly. Heck, very let's, let's do it now. You you brought it up. Let's let's do that now. Um, there are uh, three
1: women in this <laughs> three.
2: movie. Three.
0: Really, two uh, main ones, uh, and then kind of like another one. And for some reason, every yeah. time Yor meets a woman within five minutes, real time, like movie time, it's no I, I am yours. He completely <laughs> yeah. falls in love with them. And it's and the women are do the same in kind and get like mm-hmm. upset. And there's one that's like she's I I believe I referred to her as uh Princess Side Eye because she's all or Princess Stink Eye, because she's always giving
2: <laughs> was Kala.
1: Every time Kala meets a woman, she looks at her and she's like, I hate her. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> um, th- there are some really uh fun quotes from that movie and and one of the best ones was uh, from uh, was it Kala? Kala
0: was the the main woman that that actually lasted throughout
2: the whole movie. Where she's talking to Roa and um, Roa Roa says Charles Manson? No, Roa is the um, The blonde. The blonde. Oh, okay. Gotcha. And she's like oh, what are you doing Miss Thang? And Roa's like you wouldn't understand. (laughs) And Kala says I understand that one of us must die. Uh, yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. It's like out of nowhere. She's like, "I was like, oh my gosh." <laughs> Mind you, we must fight point, to the death.
0: All of these people have known each other for about ten minutes.
1: Yeah, yeah. She no. basically all she knows of Roa is that she saw uh, Yor carry her out of the cave after rescuing her. Yes, and I'm sorry, but Roa needs a freaking helmet because yeah, cause, she gets clubbed on the head a lot
2: every at every point she takes a head injury. I'm like, what Yeah, like a stalactite on? falls out of the sky and hits her and you <laughs> in the like 5 minutes and 30 seconds that she's alive. Yeah. She gets hit in the head like 45 times. <laughs> now, let's let's back up a minute and if it's okay with you guys, I'd like to talk about the uh the first WTF moment. Okay. that I had. So, even through the Tricera Megalodon attack, um, I was just kind of like, okay, this is just a bad movie. And then the, um, are we, are we going a, into a cave, Jimmy? Where the creature of the night? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Go ahead, please.
0: So basically our characters are very unlucky. And almost immediately after rescuing the two of the characters from the, this, the, the Triceratops Rex. Yeah. They get up, take, getting taken, some of the characters get taken by these blue cavemen, which they're called the blue oh, men, although God. they kind of don't look, they just look like typical cavemen. They're it taken away stupid. to these caves with, which a, with a bunch of other prisoners, so Yor has to go save them.
2: Yor is a terrible luck charm.
0: Yeah, so Yor's up up high in like looking down at them, talking about how quiet he needs to be, and then all of a sudden he decides to kill this giant flying moth that really wasn't bothering them at all. No, no, it wasn't doing anything but flying over. It was flying basically like if you imagine someone took a toy moth and hung it on the end of a stick and like was waving it above them.
2: Lend me your bow, Charles Manson. <laughs> and he
0: just shoots this poor thing out of the sky. It wasn't hurting nobody. He punches it after it lands on the ground a few times.
2: <laughs> he punches it. <laughs> he beats it around with a rock.
1: He did. And then and then what does he do, Jimmy? Cause I literally laughed out loud at this part. I was oh, like man. what?
2: I almost fell off my bed. He, he he uses the carcass of this dead moth creature of the night thing and hang glides down into the mouth of the cave to fight the blue caveman. He totally did. I'm not making this up.
0: Now Here's where the I'll benefit be of f- having me, who watched the commentary track, oh man, the lead actor, Red Brown, he said he was very proud of the fact that he did his own stunt there. He he was like, you know, they wanted to do a stunt man for this, but I never. I wanted to be able to say someday that I was able to hang glide on a dead
2: moth. <laughs> were they going to use? Uh, were they going to use a stunt man or a He-Man action figure? <laughs> Because that shit happened.
1: It totally did. <laughs> they used like a plastic body at several points in this show.
2: Uh, like, yeah,
0: everything's was, like falling off of cliffs and stuff. Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. I was like, oh. Or the, okay, people. go on. We'll, we'll get to it. Yeah.
0: but go ahead. And the other thing I just happened to notice about that particular <laughs> portion of the movie was he decided to rescue people by flooding the cave and basically killing all of the bad cavemen, but every other prisoner that was in a Jail cell. Yeah,
1: well, yeah. He's like, he's like, I know how we get out of here. And he floods the cave with like a lake. And I don't know how they get out after that. Cause, well, cause there was he, no exit where they were, but you know, like all of the cavemen die, but like all of, they don't. And he just like, trusts that the prisoners are going to find their own way out and not be dead.
2: <laughs> it's like, he looks over and goes, a lake. And I'm like, what? <laughs> oh, Okay. <laughs> Yeah, when you start hacking away at the wall, I
0: really thought he was just trying to cause a rock slide
2: <laughs> because uh, I figured
0: enough people got hit head, in heads by stalactites. Maybe that's a thing. No, there was a, a lady, Roa. which was actually surprisingly good. It was it was miniatures. They The director's daughter actually does miniatures, and that scene was surprisingly good for its budget.
2: It it actually was. Um, I, I had no complaints with that, and, and I looked at it and I go, Man, maybe their budget was actually higher than I thought, or they were all just sitting around going, "Don't f this scene up because we can only do it one time." <laughs> but if they were miniatures, maybe you could do it a couple more times. Yeah. Uh, let's. Let, Shall we talk about the necklace that seemed like it was going to be a much bigger plot point than it ended up being? <laughs> it, it totally wasn't. Yeah, it was. Uh. So your wears this dollar store looking necklace that all of the cavemen are absolutely ob- obsessed with it's like a little gold disc with a little bone above it when, it, when i saw it, you
0: wrote you said dollar store that's also perfect but when i said it looked like something that uh from like a Pier one sales table like it had fallen off of like a, a lampshade yeah. or something and oh yeah like, well, should we, Can we still sell, sell, sell this thing? yeah just put it on the table yeah it's like a, a ring with like a bone on the top of it
1: it's like a gold disc with a bone on the top yeah and and did anybody notice that Roa's amulet initially wasn't like his, and then after he takes her out of the cave magically, she now has a bone on top of hers? Did anybody else notice that? You did. I know that. <laughs> yeah,
2: you did. I, was, I did not. I was like, what? Because I, I was. Go ahead. I was too busy looking out for her getting another concussion. <laughs> <laughs>
1: because she she starts out wanting to kill him or sacrifice him, and then then he rescues her. And then I love you. We and
2: love then you
1: she, oh. and then she dies and he says, a piece of me
2: will always remain here. What? <laughs> what? Kisses her right in front of Kala. Yeah. Just, just like, damn, dude.
1: And, and oh. Kala's, uh, Kala's uh, guardian or whatever the hell he was was like, well, you know, we can't expect, you know, expect him to be with one woman. And I'm like, Wait, what? He knew He knew yeah. her
0: about as long as I knew the person that delivered my pizza earlier tonight at this mm-hmm. point. And he was – yeah, he, a piece of him will stay yeah.
2: here forever. And yeah. Kala – I alluded to this earlier, but man, characters' opinions uh, change so quickly in this movie. Kala wanted to – well, tried to stab Roa to death um, about two minutes prior to yeah. Roa dying from getting hit on the head again <laughs> <laughs> and and oh. even while even while she's dying and and yord is making out with her she's like clutching this amulet and going you know just looking so sad that that roa's dying and uh they they I'm I'm really proud of of this, but they bury her underneath of the um, Stonehenge prop from the movie. This is Spinal Tap. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I didn't catch oh, that. Th- that did happen. I, uh, yeah. Man.
0: Well, you know, guys, it's been a little while since uh, <laughs> uh, overly large animal slash kind of fake, terribly made dinosaurs attacked. Eat another so, one. So
1: let's drink and hold your.
0: You're the hunter happening accidentally upon a, a giant. What this appears to be some sort of Demetrodon, which is the, the <laughs> lizard-like dinosaur with the, the sail on its back. Um, and um, the Dimetrodon is, of course, attacking some children. and uh, Great you, child actors. Yes, and you and his crew rescue them. And I, I believe that uh, Charles Manson stepped up this time and ended this battle. He did.
1: He, he did. did. I would not
2: trust that <laughs> dude. Bow and arrow near my child.
1: Arrow to the eye.
2: Yeah. yeah. Arrow to the right. eye of what I wrote down of as the licky licky turtle monster. <laughs> because <laughs> there's a very uncomfortable <laughs> moment. <laughs> Where it like tongue bathes Yor.
1: Yor is
0: trying to pry his mouth open and his forked tongue is, is wiggling all over yours face.
1: Bathing. Ca- caressing his face gently. Yeah. Um but it's but it's also probably been about five minutes since we've had another woman for Kala to give the side eye to. So we had to we had to remedy that. Yeah.
0: So after after re- rescuing these children, the chieftain of that village basically says, "I think it's his daughter, the princess." It's mm-hmm. His daughter, um, which I lovingly refer to as um, Princess Sideboop. Yes, <laughs> was offered up to Yor. Her name was Dorita.
1: And and again, Kala is like, I hate "Oh her. hell, no, you don't."
0: I hate. At which her. point Yor finally shows some growth as a character. He says, "No." I will not
2: I'm take another woman. I have
0: one already. Yeah, here is my. I have priority. for approximately fifteen minutes when I first met her.
2: I love her. She is mine. A part of me will always remain here, though. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's a part of your everywhere. It's such and, and a
2: sexist movie. <laughs> oh my
0: god! So the movie takes a little bit of a starts getting hinting at a weird turn here when they find what appears to be a side view mirror in a cave. <laughs>
1: <laughs> with, with, with prism tape on it.
0: With with prism tape on it, oh. and like the holographic yeah tape, which back then that was probably their entire budget in the early eighties. Damn and talking the, box. Damn
1: and I guess talking
0: box, a, the damn talking box. Yeah, oh. and this these villagers who live oh. this is on the beach, and they're they're talking about this thing, and then lasers from nowhere.
1: Yeah, and, sed- and- suddenly the movie turns into Star Wars.
0: Well, everyone gets eviscerated from lasers that come from something off-screen that you never see, and it appears
2: maybe it's a UFO. Now, Yor and Kala are on their way to God knows where to do God knows what with the three daughters of. Yeah, I was wondering where they were going. Where
1: (laughs) I don't think Uh, they were were going to uh,
0: consummate their fifteen-minute anniversary.
2: Oh, okay, (laughs) but then. Lasers and explosions for some reason.
1: Michael Bay took over the film at this point.
2: Gotcha. Yeah, they
1: like
0: blew God up the, Michael Bay. the village, like the the boat launch thing, which kind of looked like a a wooden playground set that was tied together, and just kind of blew up, basically eviscerating everybody, including the children. I think, well, some of the children that were just rescued, and it was you went from guy hunting dinosaurs with a hatchet to lasers being shot from off screen, and then. Star Wars and cyborgs
2: or or robots. Yeah. All of a sudden we're in Star Wars and all the androids are wearing dark helmet masks. So they all of a sudden they're in a factory. Now here's
0: the thing. When I, when I read some reviews about this and some things, some people were like, the twist really happens, you know, 45 minutes or 50 minutes into the movie. When you realize that they're act, he's actually in the future. And I was like, who thought that was a twist? It's the title of the movie. (laughs) Yeah. I didn't think that was a twist. I was waiting for it to happen because the name of the movie was Your Hunter from the Future. Yeah.
2: I I still can't rationalize that. Still, I I don't get it. So as, as I
0: was saying earlier today, my thought was, and I know that they ran out of budget halfway through the movie and they needed to find some. So my real thought was, that they started making a movie that was basically like one of the the big fantasy movies that were going on back then. So Conan did well. Was it Lady Hawk or something? And
1: yeah, Lady Hawk.
0: And some of those movies did really well. Beastmaster, Dragon Slayer. Yep. And then they ran out of money. And right around the same time, nineteen eighty three. So it was probably filmed in eighty one, eighty two. People were like, "No, look, this Star Wars stuff is where it's at. We'll give you the money, but you make that last few episodes or half of the movie Star Wars." So all of a sudden, his movie set was set in in a prehistoric time becomes Star Wars, and it's in a factory.
2: Well, before they go into the factory, when Yor first meets the android men, he punches off the android's head. Yeah. Which I thought was hilarious because he he just turns around and goes, ah, just punches his head off.
0: And the android men are literally wearing at least the back half of a Darth Vader mask. The faceplate, not so so much, but the back half is 100% a Darth Vader mask purchased at Toys R Us, rest in peace. That's what it is, though.
1: With chin straps. Yes. Did you you notice the chin straps?
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. On a robot.
1: Yeah. Or an android.
0: So, yeah. So, into the factory, yes. So, we're into the factory. Uh, It really, like I said, it looked like a Star Wars movie, sort of. And maybe a James Bond supervillain hangout? And the villains there. There was the Overlord scientist types. There was an uh, all of a sudden a brand new evil villain called the Overlord. Who his whole goal was to basically make clones, uh, clone androids that would procreate and take over the world. I think.
2: Yes. Yeah, I'm I'm not. I'm not sure how that's. But that's about it. My notes have a question mark.
0: He and I watched it twice and read about it. So
2: he needs um your. To impregnate Kala, who is a uh, genetically perfect woman, um, and then your will be genetically perfect after he gets Kala um, pregnant, but then he'll die. So, is Kala that's is how much sense it makes?
1: Kala is a Kala is a praying mantis. That's that's, that's what the Overlord wanted. She she will she will be genetically perfect after he impregnates her and she rips off his head and consumes him. And based
0: on Kala's opinions and acting throughout the whole movie, she's I think she's good with it. I think she's like oh, okay, yeah, let's, let's let's go with this plan. Let's do this. We're not so good. <clears throat> yeah, there is a a cat scan machine, sort of, <laughs> that does some sort of scanning, and you get to see a little bit of yours past as a child hunting and possibly a
2: child hunting. No. <laughs> he's like, this is where I learned how to hunt. And it yeah. was just him like a day ago. He's like, I yeah, remember they, also,
0: they showed him as a kid, but they also showed him like looking like he was still suffering from dysentery in Turkey.
1: Yeah. Was, he like
2: It was another running sequence. He runs. Yep. Like I was just about to say he runs and like jumps through a bush and then comes around the corner.
1: And, and it's a lizard. A it's little a little
2: tiny lizard. tiny lizard. And he gives that like happy days, uh, character intro thing where he's or like a mentos commercial where he kind of looks at it and goes ha, you you know just kind of like <laughs> it's just a d-. He goes, sometimes i had to throw him back yeah like,
1: what <laughs> oh so much terrible I was, but so I'm enjoyable your does
0: get the the upper hand on the uh, overlord and throws a pole through his chest while he's in an elevator.
1: <laughs> yeah, and um, and movie sad movie. that
2: he
0: never used that sweet flaming sword.
1: Yeah, what the happened movie? to it? It just disappeared. Wait, yeah,
0: there was a
2: flaming did, sword. He did use it earlier in the movie to escape with Roa. Uh, they escaped from a cave, and I hate to backtrack too much here, but I
0: we're talking about a flaming sword. It's okay.
2: Yeah, uh, there was a point where they him and Roa. After she's had about her 37th concussion, they run around the corner, <laughs> and he's got this flaming sword. And there's a guy standing there, like Indiana Jones-style, where he fights the big bad guy with his whip. Um, and the guy's just standing there all menacing-looking, and Yor goes, rah, And he just kind of, like, underhands the sword at him, and it goes flying through the air and just right through the dude. Okay. So he used it.
1: Yeah, he, he impaled the guy fine. on it, but then he yeah. freaking just left it there. I'm like, bro, that's a flaming sword. You pick that up and carry it with you.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that has you know, at least
2: like what, plus twenty magic or something? Absolutely. I don't know. I don't know D&D. Mm, plus twenty magic plus like five, ten percent fire damage. Easily. Definitely oh, yeah.
1: plus eight charisma, without question. Yeah. You
0: don't leave that stuck in a random caveman. No. Eh.
2: Random sand caveman.
1: We're yeah. total nerds, by the way.
2: We are. <laughs> So, So, yes, throwing the barber's pole through the overlord and Charles Manson, who I think his name is Peg, is like, oh, don't worry, let the elevator do the rest or something. I don't know. Yeah,
0: maybe they were hoping for a sequel.
1: (laughs) I know I am. (laughs) And, And how about how about that little acrobatic move at the end? Oh man. I saw the that and I'm like, the movie. I'm like, what the F? What, what just happened? The <laughs> he, pulls action little, he pulls off a little trapeze, uh, he uh flip. It's, and, and it's, it's hilarious because as he's swinging on this vine, his body rotates 180 degrees, but he's not holding on to anything. Like yeah. he just, he just lets go and flips around. But he's not grabbing or holding on to anything, and then well, his legs just lock onto the onto the the electric and, cable. I'll and look.
2: hold on here; those were action figures. Those were
1: 100 percent action action figures.
2: figures. Yeah. Yes. And I lost my mind because <laughs> i didn't, I didn't think it could get any worse. But apparently, they blew the budget on the flaming sword. Yeah. Grab some like off-brand Italian action figures and tied them to stuff. That uh, little flip that you talked about, Rob, when the, yeah. the old man uh, was was oh, yeah. oh, on yeah. the cord, I was like, "Wait, what?"
1: what? <laughs> that's what I did. I see I started. that that's right. One
0: of the things I was like, you know what? They saw this in Star Wars. were like, oh, you know, Luke and Leia swung across a chasm. We should have one of those scenes.
1: <laughs> Let's do it too.
2: Yeah, um, I love uh, how. The old blind Rod Stewart. Um, <laughs> he looked like Khan. He, he, like he did okay. Uh, but When uh, he he's explaining why the Overlord is evil, it's like he just he they were like, all right, just make it up. And he he's standing there and he goes he goes. So we can only gather that the Overlord's intention is to do evil. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, oh, okay, that's all right. You want? Really I wrote that down
0: one. in my notes. I wrote that down in my notes, and I didn't remember what it was in reference to because it was so ridiculous. I was like, oh well, and I just crossed it out.
1: <laughs> like, what <was> that <laughs> and then, and then the big plan is just turn off the robots. That's pretty that's much. We,
0: we just yeah, and just then blow stuff the up. Robots. Now, I don't want you guys to think that there wasn't anything serious discussed in this movie <laughs> because at the very, very end, Yor does eventually go back to the the primitive tribes of, of the uh, of the mountains, or the highlands, sorry. And the narrator says uh, he is determined to use his superior knowledge to prevent them from making the same mistakes as their forefathers. Will he succeed? I don't entirely know what superior <laughs> knowledge he has. He, he literally <laughs> fell ass backwards into killing dinosaurs,
1: with having humans throw
0: themselves at him. With a rock Throw themselves at him them. yeah, <laughs> them and then blew some stuff up. All in about half of a day.
2: Yeah, did I don't did he's like oh I don't know man Khan or Ricardo Montalban I guess he (laughs) he sacrificed everyone else on the island so uh, Yor goes back with Kala and well the
0: rest of the remaining nukes because I believe that there was the reason why it was everything was desolate was because there was some sort of nuclear war and all the remaining nukes were on this island. Owned by this Overlord guy,
1: and what I really whose intention
2: know, is to do evil. What no I really
1: want to know is: Did Kala give side eye to the general lady who flew the who flew the plane out for him? Did she? she, would she be like? Stabbing. I I know she's I know she's saving our lives because we have no idea how to fly this
2: thing, but I hate it. Here's, her. here's the plot for your two and and the script all in one. Um, uh, side eye stabs captain of the ship, and they all crash into the water and die. <laughs> because she's jealous. And that's Pretty the much. end of the movie.
1: Pretty much. I know you're saving us, but one of us must die!
0: <laughs> now, uh, since this is a terrible movie, I wanted to kind of steal something from another uh... podcast. Okay, so I, I'm gonna... This is one, This next part is 100% stolen from How Did This Get Made, which is an awesome movie podcast, but they're um, professional comedians, and we are not. Like hell. But... They had this really good idea. So what they do is when they watch a terrible movie, they then check out what people think about the movie on Amazon. And I was legitimately interested. So I went to look, and I wasn't going to, like, copy what they're doing. But when I saw what other people wrote about the movie, I had to grab two of them, and I looked at the five-star reviews of your. And um, so there were 86 total reviews on Amazon, and of those, 56% of them were five-star. How many of them were yours? They were all your reviews. <laughs> So one of them was written by a person named Bizao, and they wrote, I figured I would, wouldn't write a view partly just to say there's a nip slip shortly after about um, one hour and two minutes into the movie. I think that's funny when it happens in a PG movie. Uh, maybe I will redo, do a review if I think of enough more I could add. I guess it does deserve more five-star reviews. But yeah, the bat glider was one of the best <laughs> moments for sure. Another one of my favorites was the prehistoric Firebrand Sword, this movie was actually surprisingly good at times and never bad in a way that is just bad. So I nice. really liked the nipple slip. Yeah. All and right, then someone named uh, William S. Lloyd, who is very, very formal based on his name. He wrote, made during the low budget barbarian film craze of the 80s, mixed with elements of Star Wars ripoffs, yours probably one of the worst movies ever made. Yet it has such a strange allure. I see another reviewer commented that the soundtrack quote is like a queen song gone wrong, LOL. <laughs> so right actually i was gonna say sticks but is it really set in a distant past with a technologically advanced civilization living on an island or is it our distant future where a man reverted back to barbarism who knows who cares Yor smashes his way through one dysfunctional society after another and chaos follows the only real question any guy watching this film probably needs to answer is which cave girl is hotter betty rubble or kala Mm. (laughs) five mother effing stars (laughs)
2: Without, Without it, question, you know, I would absolutely love to see some kind of cult revival for this film. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen the. <laughs> We're gonna the, start it. Yeah, have you guys we'll seen the? Soon, <laughs> uh, dude. We need a your. Uh, this CB5. is your T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that that. I had a delayed reaction to that one, but, <laughs> um, if you've seen the best worst movie, which is a documentary about troll two that had, it, there wasn't, it was not no troll one. Um, I, I would love to see your come to say the Indian with oh my you know, the cast and, and have a, a screening with the cast and just like an intimate setting. I, dude, I would love that. I'd love to, as
0: uh, I said before, the cast knows what the movie is. And they yeah. they love it. We're we're mocking we're mocking it lovingly. I mean it's it's we, bad, but it's supposed to be. It's
1: it's terrible, but we enjoyed the hell out of it.
0: Oh yeah, like I want to. I don't own it because Rob was willing one to purchase it, but I'm probably going to in the somewhat near future. I own it now. It's true. Jimmy did borrow it today. So I think that that brings us to the end of our first really bad movie, uh, guys. If you know of any other really so bad that they're good movies, we want to hear from you because we want to watch them.
2: Yeah, that was. So much fun. I'm sorry I didn't get to watch it with you guys.
0: Well, there's a lot of bad movies in this world, so maybe next time.
2: All right.
1: So we're gonna we're gonna move on from your because we could probably talk about that for another thirty minutes. But um You're damn right. Ah, there you go.
2: <laughs> Thank you. Um I to so one.
1: We're we're gonna move on to our gimme five for the evening. Um and since it's my birthday, I got to pick and there was there has been there has been a couple of songs that have rattled around in my head for years and I don't know why but I've remembered like all of the lyrics to some of the songs from like TV shows that I watched as a kid now and I and I pose the question to Greg and Jimmy are there any theme songs that you actually still remember to this day that you haven't really watched in years but like if the song were to come on you would be able to sing along with it Um, or that you could even sing along or that you could even sing the song without, without the, without the music. Um,
2: Yeah. Or, uh, if not sing, then maybe one of my choices will, uh, immediately make me feel like going out and doing heroic deeds.
1: And, and I think, I, I think the way that we're going to do this is we're going to kind of do it as like a, um, see if we can guess each other's, um, see how recognizable they are. So it should it should be a nice little bit of nostalgia for anybody who, who's uh, who's still listening. Okay.
0: Everyone is still listening. They That's better, right.
2: Because this is going to be fun.
0: Okay. So we're, we're just going to go with this. Okay. So here is an example. This is Rob's number five.
2: That's got to be Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. It is. Totally, 100. Yeah, I love Prince. all about how my life got twisted upside down, and I'd like it to take a minute Just sit right there. I'll tell you how I became the prince of a town called Bel Air.
1: There you go, and it's it's one of those ones that that everybody knows the words to. Like that was
2: one that I forgot. So thank you.
1: You're welcome. You're welcome. But that is my number five, and I figured that was the best example. Um, Because it's just one of those ones that, you know, it comes on and everybody's like, oh, oh, yeah, you know, that kind of thing.
0: (laughs) Which brings us,
2: of course, to Rob's number four.
1: And I think.
2: I'm really not looking forward to Rob's number two.
1: I think. (laughs) Yeah, you are. (laughs) I think this. Yeah. I hated
2: the show. That would be The Jeffersons.
0: No. That was uh, yeah. no, no Carter.
1: Absolutely. I don't no. know it. It's, it's a show that came on, and this is this is actually the one that actually made me think of this question, because I have no idea why I know all of the lyrics to this song. I didn't watch it a ton, but I did watch it and I loved Nell Carter when I was a kid. She was, uh, she was, she was amazing. I thought she was fantastic but for some reason I still remember all of the lyrics to this, to this version of the theme song. And the name of the show is what? Give Me a Break. Give me a break. Yeah. There you go. That's right. I don't know why I've
0: been announcing your numbers, Rob.
2: (laughs) I picture Rob in the shower with a (laughs) loofah. It. A <laughs> I just back. It's one of those loofahs on
1: like a stick. Oh, that's yeah, right. Exactly. So, so that was the one that made me think of this whole thing, but we'll move on to my number three and. And I think these clips are a little long. I probably should have shortened them a little bit, but. It
0: occurs to me how much slap bass was used in the 80s. <laughs>
2: I don't know that one at all.
1: Oh, um, I bet you do.
2: I'm gonna I say TV in the 80s. Honestly, what is that? You guys have talked about it before. Great, greatest stories or something?
1: Nope. The the I the don't lyrics, know.
2: Sometimes
1: some crimes go slipping through the cracks, but these two gumshoes are picking up the slack. There's no, no case brother. too big, no case too small. When you need help, just call Ghostbusters. Play the reveal, Greg. <laughs> Uh,
2: Chippendale. Dale.
0: There you go. Got it.
2: One of the greatest Nintendo games of all time.
0: It uh, is it's uh, the TV show in which uh, two male strippers go out and solve crimes.
2: <laughs> yeah, uh, while wearing, while wearing only bow ties. Patrick Swayze's all-time favorite. Patrick Swayze and Chris Farley. Yes. Yep. Fantastic. As a as
1: a kind of uh like a lethal weapon duo. Yes. Nice job. So go ahead and uh rob so, for my number two, this is one that I've remembered for years, and I remember watching this with my dad and my brother. Saturday mornings. I'm about to reveal something that I should not reveal in a public forum,
0: but I had such a crush on that, yellow, that little yellow gummy, gummy bear.
2: Oh, you know right. it! Sonny.
0: I had a, such a crush on Sonny when I was a kid.
2: That's a like cartoon bear, great.
0: I was like six. I just thought yeah. she was so cute.
2: Mm. But yes, for those who,
1: who don't know... She supplanted
0: my love for the cat on Mr. Rogers. Mm. I, I mean, <laughs> good thing I edit this thing.
1: <laughs> for those great. who don't know... There you go. Disney's Adventures of the Gummy Bears.
0: <clears throat> okay, Rob, give us... Number one,
1: without any explanation. And here is my number
2: one. I know what it is.
0: Uh. Would this be uh, your Darker three, two, yuck. one? You got it. Nice.
1: Mm. There we go. Your alter ego. Let's get dangerous. I, yes, those are all, those are all themes that I still remember the words to. And I, yeah, that's, that's my little bit of nostalgia for you today.
2: Very good. So for my five, we'll start it off with one that I used to get excited every time they wheeled the television cart into the classroom. I don't know if you guys remember this, but it's not going to give you too much.
0: I let it play for a lot longer because I don't know it. Is it like Bill Nye the Science Guy or something? Uh,
2: No, but that was a television cart in the classroom kind of deal. Rob, you got anything?
1: Mm, No. I'm I'm not
2: even sure if you guys are going to get it after the reveal, but go ahead, Greg. You guys don't remember Ghost Rider? No. Mm -mm. Uh, It was a Canadian television series that... It followed the story of some wayward spirit who used to help children solve crimes by reading. Cool. Wow. It, it was, yeah, it was actually pretty awesome.
0: Canada is so much better than us in every way, except for their bacon. Canadian it, bacon
2: sucks my ass. How do you screw up bacon? Exactly. I don't know. So let's go with my number four. Yeah, I already you know, know that, you know
1: know that, that one. one.
2: Yeah. Uh, that my one is, of
0: course. That's my other embarrassing. It's
1: thing. all right because I'm saved by the bell.
0: That's yeah. right. Did not. hear the reveal. It's
2: right,
0: cause I'm saved by the bell. There you go. Yeah, never liked that show. I don't think I've ever seen a full episode of it.
2: Wow. I love I have.
1: Saved by the Bell. I have. I've seen a lot of episodes of it.
2: Probably seen every episode.
1: I was not a huge Kelly Kapowski fan. I I always liked Jesse better.
2: Did you? Jesse Spano fan? All right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I liked Lisa Turtle, to be honest with you.
1: Yeah, she was all right.
2: Yeah, but she's like batshit crazy now. She is. Lark Voorhees.
1: I also liked the punk chick who was in it for a couple of seasons.
2: I forgot. She went on to be a pretty big star, if I remember correctly. Anyway, um, let's see if you guys can guess my number three.
1: It's definitely spooky. I gotta right, say, so, like, Tales from the Crypt?
0: I would say, yeah. like, Ghost uh, Goosebumps.
2: Let's go ahead and try for the reveal.
0: Oh, I know what this is. This is one of those CDs you buy for Halloween for trick-or-treaters.
2: No. <laughs> but it sounds like it. That is Nickelodeon's Are You Afraid of the Dark? Um, yeah. That still plays in my head, you know, frequently. I, I love that show. Um, so moving on to number two. Now, number two is my song that was used for a series. Now, I, I want you guys to, uh, to see if you can tell me what show and what song. Okay. Let's go. What do if I said- oh, I oh, that, that one.
1: Oh yeah.
0: Wonder Years, of course.
1: Yes. Let
0: me
1: and, of course, the, the artist. Oh,
0: God, I don't believe I'm blanking Bring on
1: this. Oh,
0: it's uh, Joe Cocker. Joe Cocker. Yep. Yeah. Uh, oh, baby, yeah. With the very telltale scream. Always thought he uh, always sounded like he was having an aneurysm, which
2: I love. Yeah. yeah. You know what I just my noticed? Friend. Hmm how much Eddie Vetter sounds like him. Yes, he does. Yeah. Um, no, that was, that was a uh, goodbye with a little help. My... I believe my mom
0: actually said that when I was in high school. Really? It was uh, weird. Cause I'd be listening to Pearl Jam. And she's like, that guy sounds like Joe Cocker. She I also, heard... she also pointed heard... out that one of their like B sides was exactly the song Ohio by Neil Young, which I was very surprised at that she knew that.
2: Um, wonder <laughs> years. Uh, that was the first television series that I ever saw that dealt with like the, uh, the draft for the vietnam war Mm -hmm. um it was very real uh and yeah um they use that song and i used to get excited every time it came on (laughs) now my number one is it makes me want to go out and do heroic things so kick it off greg you can just let this play for the five minutes yeah i'm gonna
0: happen i'm thanks for listening guys i'm just gonna listen to this for the rest of the night i know what it is so rob <sighs> i feel like i know it
2: <sighs> there's no reveal it just does that for five minutes yeah can there's i no hear a little
1: to... bit more of the melody sure oh yeah i'm i'm gonna take a wild guess here and say that it involves a helicopter,
0: Damn, but a helicopter. What? as mentioned last week on the give me five podcast jimmy Jimmy. <laughs> I'm here. He's just rocking out. It is a airwolf.
1: It is.
2: Nice. I had the toy and the somehow the helicopter blades got cut off, but man, it, you know, we we listened to that what like five times at work today. We did. So our students hate us. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's why they always put their headphones on when when lab starts. There's my five.
0: You know, it is really weird. Strong work. You just brought back a memory that I literally have not had since I was a kid because I used to, of course, love that show. And my dad used to, he used to ride a motorcycle for the military, like in parades and stuff. Yeah. So they gave him, because he needed to be able to communicate to where they were going and stuff. They gave him a helicopter. No, an old Air Force helmet that had the headphones built into it because it was for helicopter pilots. Nice. And he ha- he gave it to me when I was a kid. I guess it disappeared when we moved to Florida. Mm. But I used to listen to – I used to wear that helicopter helmet while I was watching
2: that oh, show. Oh, no shit. That's awesome.
0: Nice. And I completely – I, re- I forgot about it. And the second we started, like, talking about it, I, I immediately remember the, like, the smell of, like, the old leather, like, on the, the headphone mm-hmm. things. Yeah. So good memory. That's good. cool. Good.
1: Yeah. Strong Go work,
0: Jimmy. My turn, guys. And I didn't pay attention to the directions. I I picked some songs that were shows that I liked and watched. And the theme songs gave me, whenever I would hear them come on, they would would just give me like a a feeling of what was to come on the show. So they're not necessarily ones that I like the best or anything like that, or that I remember the words to. In fact, I don't think a single one of them has words. So here we go. Ready? Yeah, let's go.
2: I
1: know that
2: one. Um, go ahead, Rob. Night
0: Court. Yep. Nice. Yeah. For for some reason, some of these shows, like I didn't really watch a lot of TV, but I would hear some of like this show I watched. But when I was supposed to be going to bed, I would hear my family like watching various shows through the walls. And I remember the saxophone and a lot of these openings just sounded so sad and kind of mournful, Mm -hmm. and like. This show, I, I believe, possibly Taxi or possibly, uh, I think it was Barney Miller had these like sad saxophone sh- things, and for some reason I can't think of like New York without thinking of that. So that was one of them. Um, although Night Court was one of my favorite shows.
1: Yeah, Night Court was a great show.
0: And here is number two.
2: Not a clue. Whoops.
0: I know that one. Um I don't. Former football player and his partner, Didi McCall.
1: Mm.
0: No. Know. He is. I'm, I'm gonna kick myself. Go ahead. Hunter.
1: Oh. Not your
0: Hunter from the future, but Hunter.
1: Yes. Yes. Uh, which is
0: a, a cop show which I probably was way too um young to be watching back when i did but that is one of the shows i watched quite a bit
2: uh greg to revert back to your number five real quick um new york's all right if you like saxophones <laughs> is, that, is, that, is that a song lyric <laughs> that's
0: a song by fear that sounds like a song but like by fear
2: yeah whom flea
0: played bass for very briefly huh and who wrote one of my favorite christmas songs of all time i'm not here's gonna my name no- here's my number three Yeah. Another slap bass. Mm. Is that ALF? It most certainly is. Ah, ah boom. boom! Good job. I'm pretty sure that uh, the father of the ALF clan, uh, Willie, is uh, now in prison for some sort of uh, terrible things. Father like, of the ALF you know, clan?
1: Like calling oh, in uh, a bomb threat on a train or something?
0: No, something way, like, not as funny as the rest of this episode, so we'll leave ah. it Father of the Alf no, clan? No, like the father of the family.
2: No, I know, but that just sounds like... It sounds it's... like a like a group of people in Yor.
1: Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the Children of
2: the Elf clan.
1: We'll piece through this episode
0: and actually write Yor too. There you go. Like
2: we already did. Uh, yeah. Kala gets mad and stabs the pilot of the ship and they all die in a plane crash.
0: Or maybe he jumps out, letting them die, and Yor jumps out and grabs onto a pterodactyl and flies it to safety. And falls <laughs> in love with it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, number four. <laughs> no, that was four. Oh, sorry, number three. Yeah, I, my numbers are backwards on this. This one's easy.
2: Easy? What is it? I don't. That's. I don't know. Rob was meowing the whole time, so he... that
0: was Rob's impression of an electric guitar.
2: Yeah, <laughs>
0: <laughs> he's only and, used to slide guitar and fiddle, so he doesn't know what it really and, sounds like. And,
1: and apparently, slap bass. <laughs> um, um, I don't know. I'm I'm gonna guess it, and this one I thought was easy. Wow, and, and probably get it wrong. Okay, because I'm gonna be very ashamed when I guess it and don't get it right. But I'm gonna say Miami Vice. You're right. There it is. Damn.
0: Which is what's weird, though, is my memory of the theme song is way different than it actually was because I and, had the
1: soundtrack. And that's why I, that's why I was questioning it, because I'm like, well, it sounds like Miami Vice, but I seem to remember it differently.
0: But that was the actual memory. Uh, that was it because I pulled it right from the actual opening. Mm-hmm. But the actual soundtrack was different. It had the guitar came in earlier. Mm. Okay. okay, And my last one.
2: That would be Dallas. That is not Dallas. <laughs> <laughs> I just um, pegged you as a Dallas kind of guy.
1: No, God, no, I know that one. Oh God! Um, it's also the name of my
0: phone. Like my, you know, when you give your device a name, like Siri. No, the name of my phone is Ziggy.
2: Uh Mark and Mindy. Z- Mark and Ziggy. Perfect I'm, strangers. I'm,
0: I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna end the suffering for you guys. As it plays in the background, that is Quantum Leap. Oh! Oh man, I was not a Scott Bakula fan.
2: Dang it, I knew it I sounded preferred. familiar.
0: I prefer ruining the gone. beginning, people. Alright. <laughs> so, this is the opening sequence here.
2: Better known with his own. Breathy females it's telling your story. An force to change history the for the better. His only guide on this journey is that an observer
1: his own time, who only he can see and hear. You remember that, but you didn't remember the song. Exactly. I remembered the song. I just couldn't place it. I'm a terrible person, I know. Well, that was fun, guys. It was. I enjoyed it. I'm very glad we did that. That was fun. Yeah.
0: You should have more birthdays sometime.
2: I should. should make Greg suffer more through uploading the audio and having to edit it.
1: (laughs) And, And guys, let us know what you thought. Did you enjoy the little bit of nostalgia, a little bit of throwback there?
2: They better have.
1: Uh, yeah. Hit us up. Let us know what you think.
0: Okay, guys. So just you know, a few last closing words here. First of all, remember to go online and check out your podcast provider and give us a rating. That helps us out a lot. Check us out on Facebook, Instagram, all that fun stuff. And, uh, we got some good stuff coming up in the very next couple, few, next few episodes. Um, we'll probably have to be talking about the Walking Dead finale, guys.
2: Mm-hmm. Does that mean I have to watch it? Probably it not. mm
0: Suck it up, you little whiner. It's not the overall finale. It's not the overall finale, but it is the season finale. Although they I did see some news today that said something about that it's closing up every single storyline that they've opened throughout the entire show. Hmm. And they're gonna start with a clean slate next season. Isn't it gonna
2: be like two hours or something? It's possible. Cool.
0: And of course, the culmination of the first what, three waves of Marvel movies. With Infinity War, that will be coming out on the 27th. And we will, of course, be covering that as well as other ridiculousness we happen to find. So thank you for listening, guys.
1: Happy birthday to me.
0: Happy birthday, Rob. Happy birthday, Rob.
2: Dave. Slab, bulkhead Fridge, large meats Punt, speed chunk
1: Butch, deadlift <laughs> Bold, big flank
2: Splint, chest hair Flint, iron stag Bolt, Vanderhuge Thick, McRunfast <laughs> We put our faith in blast, hard cheese Buff, drink lots <laughs> Oh, slab Oh, oh, hunk Oh, flink Let's get out there, kick the bat. <laughs> Trunk slam chest. Fist rock bone. Stump beef knob. Smash lamp jaw. Punch rock groin. <laughs> Buck plank chest. Stump junkman. Dirk hard peck. Rip steak face. Slate slab rock. Crud bone meal. Whip slag cheek. Punch side iron. Gristle mcthorn body. Slate fist crunch. Buff hard back. Bob Johnson. Oh wait. <laughs> Blast thick neck. Crunch butt steak. Slab squat thrust. Lump beef broth touch rust rod reef blast body big mclarge huge (laughs) smoke man muscle Beat punch beef hack blow fist Ah! well anyway got that out of my system (laughs) roll fizzle beef